So uh, uh, the other thing on the young adult thing, uh, that trip, if you are 18 to 30-ish, you should go on that trip. It is life-changing. And, uh, and just to kind of give you a picture of what happens there, uh, one of our earliest trips with young adults, uh, we took a medical team with us as well. And um, I remember we were in the dump. There are people who live in the city dump there. And uh, families, children picking, uh, you know, metal or plastics out. And I remember one of our uh, young, uh, young men uh, who is an EMT. By the way, we're going to give back to God now. That's just a part of what we do. If you're a guest, don't worry about that. He was actually studying or going to study to be an EMT, I think, if I remember right. And he was um, cleaning a, a, a young lady's um, leg. It was infected. You know, you got to get the stuff out. And, and, and I was so into that. It was so exciting uh, to see that happening because she was in a lot of pain. And then I realized, uh, as I stepped back from it, I realized here was an 18, 19-year-old kid treating a beautiful 15-year-old mother of three. And in that moment, I just had this, this kind of flash, like, oh my goodness, they're not that different. They're a couple of years apart, but they were born worlds apart. And we're giving very different opportunities in life. I happen to believe that going on a trip like this for a young adult, it may be one of the best things you could do because it helps you see something beyond what you've seen. And maybe you've traveled before, but especially if not, and go to a place where people are literally picking their food out of the garbage and realizing that you're not that different from them and that you may actually have a responsibility because of who you are, where you've been raised. You may have a responsibility to some other folks beyond just yourself, and it can be life-changing. And uh, so I, I highly recommend it if you're 18 to 30-ish. Um, if you know somebody who's 18 to 30-ish, don't just tell them about it. Pay for them to go. There will never be a cheaper trip than this. I guarantee you a little subsidizing going on. We're trying to help out because we believe this is important stuff. And they'll never find a cheaper trip. Send them on this. It'll change the life because you've got to confront the realities of the world in which you live. And you can't hide from it. And it's a powerful thing. And they will have so much fun. I guarantee you. I just got a couple of weeks ago, Amy, my daughter-in-law, her parents and their church were there a couple of weeks ago, and they rescued three little babies from a mountain village who were starving to death. Brought them down, got them to the hospital, saved their lives. It just is life-changing. And so I encourage you to go on that if you're a young adult or if you know one. So just that's my little commercial for today. So, um, so you okay? You good? All right, because I have some important stuff I want to talk to you about today. But if you're going to sleep on me like they did last night, I'm just going to lunch. So you just, let's just vote right now. Are we going to learn together or no? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. Okay, good. Uh, I, you guys are paying for the sins of the people last night. You know that, right? So, yeah, so anyway, substitutionary kind of thing. Okay, so here's the deal. We're doing this thing in First Peter. And we're in chapter 2, and First Peter, we start about, about holiness. So the title of the series, just to remind you, is Perfect from Afar, but Far from Perfect, which describes most of our lives, no matter what we project on social media, right? And so um, why spend all your time trying to project that you have a perfect life or life better than you actually have? Instead, just get a better life. <laughs> just become better, which is to be more like Jesus. It's called holiness, and that's what Peter talks about. So Peter writes this letter to former pagans. They worship Roman and Greek gods and stuff, who are now Christians, and, he, and he's telling them how to, the way to holiness, the way to live your life, the way to become more like Jesus. And on top of what he's trying to teach them, you need to realize that they were either experiencing or about to experience persecution for their faith, okay? We talked about why that was last week. And so, um, that, and he's writing to them as a loving, caring, uh, spiritual mentor, pastor. So it's not at all a rebuke. It is loving. Here's how you're going to not only make it through the difficult times to come, but grow. 
So with that in mind, uh, let's uh, look at verse 16. We ended with verse 16. If you have a Bible, you could turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16, or a phone, an app on your phone, or you can look at this. Uh, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. I just want to repeat that verse from last week. Live as God's slaves. So in this section, this whole section is about how to be a good citizen. But the next section is how to be a good slave. Doesn't sound fun. All right? So, but he's making a comparison. You're not really a slave of somebody on earth, even if you're a slave of somebody on earth. You ultimately commit your life to Christ. So there's a guy named Bob. Remember Bob? He wrote a song, going to serve somebody, right? Under 40, look it up. His last name was Dylan. It's in the Smithsonian. So um, the reality is in life, you are going to serve somebody. You're either going to serve your own appetites. You're going to serve the prevailing culture in which you live. You're going to serve money. You're going to serve something. You're going to serve your own woundedness. You're going to serve somebody. And so he's saying if you decide up front with persecution coming that you're going to serve God, that's going to be the goal of your life. That's the important thing in life. You serve God, then everything else falls into place. You know how to deal with it. Okay? So that's what he's kind of setting up there in verse 16. So in verse 17, um, he finishes this good citizen um, section, and he tells us how we're to treat people, even in bad times. So verse 17, verse 17, there we go. Um, These guys have been doing a great job keeping up. I fell asleep. I've heard this sermon twice already. Sorry. Somebody give her a coffee. Okay, so um, show proper respect. So this is your kind of, um, uh, kind of, this is how you're you're to behave, uh, no matter what the times, good or bad. So, Uh, Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Show proper respect to everyone. So here's where we begin. And I think this is really important for us. And and show proper respect to everyone. Well, some people don't deserve respect. Actually, you're wrong. They do. Because they were created in God's image. So every person you will ever lock eyes with is worthy of respect simply because they were created in God's image. Now, this is going to be really important as we go down through this and we think about suffering and we think about going through hard times. We must begin with, so let's take, for example, our political climate, okay? And everybody's like, oh, don't talk about politics. I'm talking about our attitude, whether you like who's in office or not who's in office, whether you disagree. We got people mad at each other, hating each other. You know, that person, well, even if you disagree with them, that person is created in God's image. We must begin with that. Then we can have disagreements, we have discussion, but we begin with the respect that is due someone created in God's image, and God loves them dearly, right? Now, some of us think the other side, whichever side you're on, the other side was created not by God, but by somebody else. Well, they may be influenced by somebody else, but they were created by God. Okay, that was, you didn't think it was funny? Can't laugh about politics now? Okay, good. That's great. That's a lot of fun. So, um, I, years ago, it's going to be 30 years ago, I saw a title of a, a message from a pastor. And I love this title. And the title was, People We Love But Disagree With. Somehow, we, even as Christians, we kind of believe it's okay to hate somebody because we disagree with them. People we love, we respect because they are created by God. We can disagree. We can have those kinds of things. But we must respect them. We must respect them because they were created by God. You will never lock eyes with somebody that, that God doesn't love and Christ didn't die for. So we must begin with that. Uh, so the second thing is, proper respect everyone and love the family of believers, the family of believers. So remember, they're going to go through some persecution, some difficult times. They're going to need each other. Truth is, we're all going to need each other. We just don't recognize it. We think we can figure this out. It's the American way. I'm going to tough it through by myself. Wrong. 
right? Because Peter's idea is not to just help them survive. It's to help them grow and to thrive and actually make a difference as they're walking through the difficult time. And so believers need each other as part of the family of God. And so I'm going to read a passage that's found in Romans 12. And in Romans 12, 10, it says this, very similar passage. Romans 12, 10, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. Be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. So when I read the word devoted, the word devoted actually is like Philadelphia. It's that word, uh, brotherly love or familial love. It's about a commitment to each other. And so when we think about this, what I don't want you to think about is the young, beautiful, attractive, really in shape, young people in love. It might actually be love. It might be something else. It might be lust, but it might be love. But it's not what I think of when I think of devoted love. It's cute. It's nice. It's fun. Over here is devoted love. It's the two 85-year-olds. Neither can walk very well, and they're helping each other the car. And they're still loving each other, and they're still holding hands as they're walking, and they're still devoted, right? It doesn't feel warm and fuzzy anymore. It's not, you know, just this whole kind of wild energy going on. It's about commitment. It's about choosing to love. That is worth honoring. That is fun. This is honorable, incredibly honorable, okay? So, and I'm not putting down love and uh, young, any of that. I'm just saying that we need to kind of expand our understanding of what love is. So when he talks about this love, he's talking about devoted, helping each other and encouraging each other in, in that Romans passage. Uh, it also talks about they're honoring each other. Now, this is a weird word. So we have honor, okay, honor, I get it. Do you really get it? So if you're to honor brothers and sisters in Christ, and I'm not going to do this, but if I did, I said, now I want you to honor the person next to you. What would you possibly do? You have them stand up so we could all applaud for them, open the door, let them go first. How do you actually honor somebody, right? So I did some research on this. What, what is being said here is that we, Peter is teaching us to be on this journey to be like Jesus. He's leading us on this journey to be like Jesus uh, and development of our character uh, to be more like him that will last for eternity and there will be some tough times in this journey. How can we honor each other in this journey? And here it is. We can affirm each other and God's work in us. So if this journey is about becoming more like Jesus, developing character, we can affirm that in each other as we see it. So what it doesn't look like is, hey, you look great today. I mean, it's nice. It's a compliment. But that's not what he's talking about. He's saying something more like, wow, I really see you becoming more courageous. God is growing that fruit. Remember what Moy said earlier? God is growing the fruit of of, of courage in you or the fruit of patience or, or, or kindness. I see God. I just want to affirm you in your decision to cooperate with God's work in you. I just want to you know what I'm saying? So that's like affirming or applauding each other for God's work. Now, you have to be careful when you do that. A, it has to be true, <laughs> right? If it's not true, then what good are you doing, right? B, it has to be non-condescending. I could just hear somebody going, well, I just see, I just see you growing in patience. about time. <laughs> it's like kind of funny on several levels if you think about it, right? It's like, no, 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 it's not condescending. Well, you're finally catching up to where I'm at. No, it's not a superiority thing. It's a truly sincere, I just want to affirm you. I know life is hard right now, but I just see you really growing in your faith. I just want to affirm that. How powerful is that? So I'm going to give you an assignment. Because we talk about words like honor, we don't know what they mean. We don't know how to do them. So I'm going to give you an assignment. This week, 
I want you to find another Christian, and I want you to begin to study them, not in a weird, creepy way, <laughs> but in a way that you can affirm God's work in their life, to honor them. I'm going to challenge you to do that. Find somebody, and, and even if it's a small thing, you know, hey, I saw you react to that thing, and you, and you did good. I could tell God's at work in your life. Did something that simple, you would be amazed at how powerful that is. And so I'm going to encourage you to do that. So he's setting them up uh, to, to not only survive difficult times, but to thrive in them. And so, he kind of, so then he says, fear God and honor the king or the emperor. Um, and so it seems backwards to me. It seems like you should fear the king and honor God. After all, God loves us. Why do you need to fear God? And, and yet um, he's laying out priorities here. And we find these priorities articulated really well in Matthew chapter 10, uh, in verse 28. It says this, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, emperor, king, right? Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He's saying God is the more important one here. You should be a good citizen. You should honor the laws of the land and those in authority over you. Because remember, God has, has taught us. We'll talk about submission again in a moment. But unless it's in contradiction to God's word, we should honor them. But we don't need to fear them. What's the worst they can do? And this, he's literally saying this because remember, they're going to face persecution. What's the worst they can do? Kill you? Didn't the cross and the resurrection kind of defeat that fear? He's reminding them who they are and what they're living for, for eternity. Not for this life and not for ease and not for comfort and not for people like them, but for eternity. And they're on this journey and a journey suddenly ends on this earth and they're in heaven. It's okay. You don't need to fear that. But reverence God. Make sure that God is the priority. And so he's kind of trying to remind them what their life is supposed to be about. Okay, so in verse 18, so he goes from being a good citizen to being a good slave. That sounds weird. Good slave? Why would the Bible talk about that? The Bible does not endorse slavery. Peter is just addressing the situation as it is. So in verse 18, if you put that up there, the first word is slaves in reverent fear of God. So slaves. Now, I'm going to make some distinctions here that are probably not universal, but they need to be understood. Slavery in the times where Peter was writing was not the same kind of slavery we experience in America, the awful, terrible institution of slavery. Um, I'm, I'm sure slavery then wasn't that great either, but it wasn't the same. So for example, some people would sell themselves into slavery for a period of years in order to get financially ahead. Sla it was an economic thing. Now, they were still bad bosses. It wasn't like a job. They were enslaved, indentured servanthood kind of thing for a period of time. And they still, some bosses were good and some were, were awful. So it was still slavery, but they still oftentimes maintained their own home, their own marital status. And so it wasn't exactly the situation we, we see in America. And yet it could be unpleasant, okay? So we need to make that distinction there to the people he was writing to in Northern Asia Minor. So then it goes on, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, um, uh, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Then in verse 19, for it is commendable. It's an interesting word, commendable. It occurs twice in this section. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. So he's, he's setting something up, not just for their future, but for some of them for their present. So let's say you had indentured yourself to a, a, a person. You would, and these are Extra biblical sources suggest these were mostly people who were um, domestic help. It's a kind of look 
it had. Um, and so, <coughs> and so you could either have a, a really great master, or you could have somebody who's really mean and would even hit you or beat you, which they would be allowed to do. And and he's saying. It is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they're conscious of God. So what is that? God thinks it's good when we get beat up? Well, we'll talk about that in a moment. But this word commendable is an important word here. And it's not about experiencing pain that God commends. It's about experiencing pain with a Christ-like attitude. What he's saying is even if you're unfairly treated, because he's about to talk about Christ as our example, even if you are unfairly treated if you approach that treatment with a Christ-like attitude, it is commendable. And to kind of highlight that in verse 20, he says this. Um, go ahead. There we go. Uh, but how is it to your credit? So uh, if you receive a beating for doing what is wrong and endure it. In other words, if you did something wrong, you deserve getting in trouble, quit whining. Deal with it. You, you messed up. Deal with it, right? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. So here's what, here's what Peter is reminding us, in the, uh, using this specific illustration. Life is unfair. The world is unfair. We live in a fallen world. You will be treated unfairly. It's not an if, it's a when. Some much worse than others. And he's trying to give instruction on how to deal with that. If you deal with it in a Christ-like manner, remembering to do what you thought Jesus would do, right? What would Jesus do? To approach it in the way you think Jesus would approach it, because Jesus suffered unjust uh, persecution to the point of death. If you approach it with a Christ-like attitude, it is commendable. Not the pain, the attitude, the commitment. I will not only go through this, I will go through this and be like Jesus. Okay? I will go through this realizing that God can use this to grow me and can use this to touch others if I'll go through it with a Christ-like attitude. This word commendable is interesting. It says that God uh, it will honor your attitude if you choose to go through with a Christ-like attitude. And it also it's related not only to God's approval, but God's grace. The word charis is in here, and it's the word grace in the New Testament, and it, it seems to suggest that when we go through unjust suffering and we choose to do it in a Christ-like attitude, that God pours his grace into our lives, that God gives us unmerited favor. When we go through suffering and we do it with a Christ-like attitude, he reaches down, not only empowers us to go through it, but actually gives us more grace, and we could all use more grace. And so a part of what needs to change is our attitude about difficult times, all right? So let's get on with that. So verse 22. Uh, let's put that up real quick, please. Um, did I miss one? Did I skip one, guys? Did I skip 21? Okay, go back to 21, sorry. Uh, so yeah, this is an important one. To this you were called. To this you were called. Now think about what that means. He's talking about suffering. To this you were called. You mean God would call me to suffering? Well, I don't, I don't like that. Right? Whenever you're in a difficult spot, what is your first response? If you're like me, God, get me out of here. Right? It's the escape clause. God, I'm a Christian. I believe in you. Why would you let me go through this? Well, did he allow his son to go through suffering? Did it, did it in the end benefit everybody that he went through suffering? Is it possible that God would call us to suffer and in the end it would benefit us and others? Is it possible? 
I mean, there are a lot of there are churches and preachers going around saying, oh, you become a Christian, you'll get rich, and, and life will be great, and you'll be handsome, and your teeth will be white, and it'll be great. And I'm thinking, that is not in Scripture anywhere. I can pretty much guarantee you become a Christian, your life's going to get harder. It's hard to live with integrity. It's hard to love people that don't treat you right. These things are difficult, and yet it will be worth it. For now and for eternity, I can guarantee you that, but it won't get easier. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you. Now, I just want to point out a couple things about, about suffering. One is suffering is a, is a lot about shaping us. Suffering is about shaping us. So I do a little woodworking in my garage, make sawdust. And there are lots of ways to shape a piece of wood. Sometimes I get a piece of firewood and I want to whittle it down to something. And I take an axe and I start knocking off big chunks. That's the rough shaping. And then when it's, when it's down, it's something good. And I can actually get it, you know, to the size or whatever, get it to the rough shape. And, and, and then I can take a carving tool and I can carve features into whatever this thing is. And then after that, I can take sanders and sandpaper, and I can just smooth this sucker out. I just want you to have the picture that when you're going through rough times, that's exactly what God's doing to you. He is knocking off the rough edges of your character. He said, I don't know if I believe that. You ever met somebody who's gone through a really painful thing in their life, and they went through it with a Christ-like attitude and allowed God to work in them? It is hard to get those folks riled. Somebody who has been abused at some point and they've come to a place of recovery and healing in Christ and have come to grips with that, it's hard to get them upset about. They're like, no, I've been through tough stuff. That's just, that's just inconvenience. You ever met a couple that lost a child and they prayed their way through it and the church supported them through it and later you meet them and they have such a depth of character and such a resonance to their faith? It's because they've been shaped and we don't often get shaped in the good times. We get shaped in the hard times. And so God does allow difficult times in our life so that he can shape us, so that we can become more like Jesus. So it says that he is our pattern. He is our model for how to go through difficult times. So I need to hurry on because I want to get to this. This is really good stuff. Let's go to verse 22. He committed no sin and no deceit was in his, found in his mouth. So in other words, this is unjust suffering on the cross. Verse 23, if we can go to that one. This is powerful. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate, number one. Uh, when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Now, when we suffer, we go through difficult times. It gives us opportunity to do some things. It gives us opportunity to identify with Christ. Did you see the video last week? Quarterback who got hurt, and he's like, my woundedness is nothing compared to what Christ went through for me. Isn't that interesting? We can identify how much, we can understand how much Christ did for us. It's a way to do that. It shapes our character, and that is what makes us more like Jesus, is that, that thing. But we got to go through it in a Christ-like character. So what does that mean? Let me give you some hints just from this one passage and many other ideas. When they hurled their insults out of him, he did not retaliate. Do not retaliate. That's the first thing. Could Jesus have retaliated? <laughs> when I was a kid, he used to sing a song called 10,000 Angels. He could have called 10,000 Angels. Wipe out the whole Roman thing. But he didn't because there was something bigger going on. He did not retaliate. So, so let me clarify a couple things. If someone is, for so example, let's say, you're, let's say you're, your spouse is, is beating you. Not retaliating doesn't mean you don't remove yourself from that. Get out of there. We will help you get out of there. It doesn't mean you don't hold that person accountable. It doesn't mean you don't have boundaries. It means you don't try to even up the score. 
Even if, even if that, that person has mistreated you and it's obvious to you and everybody else, you do not even up the score. You protect yourself, you remove yourself, you set boundaries, you do all the things that are healthy for you, but you do not get to even up the score. They might even, I happen to believe if somebody commits a crime, I ought to go to jail. That's boundaries. That's accountability. But I don't want them to be tortured because justice is up to God, not me. And so do not retaliate. Even when, for example, I don't know, just out of the blue, Monday morning, 10, 13, you're at the Costco parking lot and they take your spot that you've been waiting for. <laughs> just theoretically. Halfway through reaching for the horn, you realize you're the pastor of the church like a block away. <laughs> and, you know, something like that. Just an example. Um, you, <laughs> you do not retaliate. Um, then uh, when he suffered, he made no threats. He made no threats. Now, I happen at one point in my life to believe that I probably had the spiritual gift of trash talking. I may still have some of that, but I realize it's not a spiritual gift. It is so hard when somebody takes your spark, parking spot that you've been waiting for not to inform them. The, the Bible says... This thing I hear is the hardest thing to tame. The hardest thing. Not only don't retaliate physically, don't retaliate verbally. Just keep that thing in your mouth and keep it shut. Because what you're thinking here likes to come out here before you even recognize it. He did not make threats. He did not talk trash. He didn't do any of that. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. So I just want to challenge you. If you're in one now, or the most recent one you're in, being treated unfairly, I want you to answer this question. Sometimes it, it, it's worth taking it to the ultimate, uh, ultimate outcomes. Would you wish them to spend eternity in hell? Now, for most of us, it's like driving in. No, it, it was a mistake. They should just have their car crashed. But other than that, it's like, <laughs> But for those who have been deeply wounded and hurt by somebody through abuse, abandonment, whatever, even that person who's hurt you the most, would you wish they spent eternity in hell? I don't think so. And so at the end of the day, it's kind of silly. Retribution, retaliation is kind of silly. Because the Bible says that, that he will not leave the church, uh, the, 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 the world, um, without bringing justice. And as much as I might be mad at somebody, I don't want God's justice for them. And sometimes when I'm really hurt by somebody and I'm really wounded by something somebody close to me has done, I have to go to that place and say, God is going to have to judge them, not me. And I never end up wanting God to judge them harshly. At the end of the day, Christ trusted God. And so let God be the judge. You don't need to be the judge. You don't need to bring justice. Let God be the judge. It's a couple of interesting things about that real quickly, and I know I'm out of time, uh, but real quickly, I, I read a quote recently that if you, if you take uh, revenge on them, you might knock them off their feet, but if you show them kindness, you might knock them to their knees. The Bible says that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his kindness. It's the fact that he loves us so much and has given such grace. He has been so good to me when I didn't deserve it. That's what led me to repentance. 
You might do more than get even. You might get them into heaven. What did Jesus say on the cross? Father, forgive them. At some point, we've got to move past the immediate hurt, the immediate woundedness, the immediate reaction of our wounded ego and realize that eternity is at stake. And if I live this out with his help, like Jesus would, I might just bring a change to my character and to their eternity. And so the next time you are tempted, as I am often tempted, to be angry, to want to retaliate, to at least inform someone of what an idiot they are. (laughs) Remember, there's a lot at stake. God's up to something bigger. Remember what he's up to and act appropriately. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you because you didn't retaliate against us when we turned our backs on you. We so misused the bodies that you've given us and the minds you've given us and relationship. We have so misused those on so many occasions and yet you just kept loving us. You kept moving toward us. And Lord God, I thank you for that. And so I ask that in my own life that you would help me to recognize those times when I want to retaliate even in the smallest way. And remember that there's much bigger things at stake that I would approach them as you would have approached them. And with your help, Lord God, you'll change me and you might just change them. So Lord God, let us be good slaves, slaves to you, to your love, to become like Jesus. It's in his name that we pray, amen.